Hello and welcome to What So What Now What. Today is the 19th of April 2018 and I'm joined by my co-host Ravi. Hello, good evening. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. This is episode number four and I'm just looking at my show notes here. I actually originally wrote in our show notes the 26th of March. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a long time coming this one. I think it's this one's been sort of kicked down the road by a couple of different things happening. But um, yeah. I mean, conversely, we've we've had... Uh, Better weather since since our last podcast. I think we 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 were Much in the midst of the beast from the east, and today is the hottest day of the year so far. I yes, think, um, exactly. I I could smell barbecues when I went out to my butt garden this evening. So people are definitely um making the most of the sun while they can. That is the most British thing to do. As soon as there's any hint of sunshine, it's like yeah, barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like we need to like barbecue really hard right now, uh, and also get our shorts out. So. Yeah, let's burn the hell out of our food and, and, and drown in smoke. Anyway, um, so today's episode is about AR and VR, right? Yeah, so augmented reality and virtual reality and sort of um, what that means for the world today and wh- where it's going. But um, I think we should start actually uh, by linking back to our previous podcast. Yes. So we spoke about data and privacy, right? And then yeah. um, it, almost as, as if by fate, the week after that was where <laughs> we had... The, the Facebook um, row, right? So this yes, is, yes. of course, uh, many of you must know about this. Um, by now, uh, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, um, where this company was using uh, a personality app in order to gain user information and then use that for political targets ads. Now, I, I feel like this this links back to something we, talk, we talked about a lot um, in the middle of the podcast, at least in the so what part um, previously, which is, you know, the, the whole talking about how Facebook doesn't listen to you or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think this is almost pinpointed when you know in, when the, f- the story first broke and everyone's saying facebook are floundering is it the actual reasoning they were floundering was they didn't want the headline to be a data breach yes yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't a breach i mean they were just giving it away yeah. um which, which i think is an even worse position to be in and yeah it, it's it was just you know the, the, it, there's a great podcast i think we both listen called exponent yeah. and um the, the episode they did about facebook after after the uh, story broke was fantastic because they talk about how facebook's fundamental problem is it was trying to be a platform um and ultimately it just was not making the most because you know you got targeted advertising on facebook anyway yeah um, yeah, yeah 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 so so like, they, they just weren't making any um connections there uh, they're just giving the data away and that was the, the the meat of what their brand should be pretty much uh, the biggest thing that actually really frustrated me is is the kind of uh, i'm gonna say ignorance by of the reporting uh, the reporting mm-hmm. of the story it was it was the journalism was fine. The journalism was factual. And I think the fact they found and they were able to prove that Cambridge Analytica was doing this was good. Mm-hmm. What I didn't like and what I think was misleading to the public was to suggest that they were the only company to have gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. No one no one seems to recall that the Barack Obama campaign was very, very proud of the fact that it was able to do this years Absolutely. before <laughs> Trump and Analytica were doing this. And this is funny because... I, th- I think people just forgot how Facebook used to work. We all used to just hit OK when Facebook used to tell us, when you click OK, we're going to share your friends' profiles and your profile with this company. This is yep. I even remember the interface for this thing. I, I just I just could not understand why this shocked so many people. Um, and the funny thing is, Facebook is now using this to their gain because as soon as this announcement came out, they obviously had to, you know, they looked like they were, you know, you know, sort of backed into a corner. But actually, mm-hmm. they started closing off APIs to developers who had previously been able to access 
quite powerful features for Facebook to build their own platforms. Now you can't get your data out of the platform. You can't share certain uh, bits of information with other apps. A good example is Tinder, for example. The day that this happened, two days later, the Tinder app stopped working because the API restrictions had been shut down and the app couldn't can, can function properly. So here's, an, here's a really good example now where Facebook is now starting to draw a walled garden around its data. And this is kind of the big problem you see with people like Apple, where it's just so hard to get out of the ecosystem. And so what ends up happening is you get trapped and you, you, you literally have no choice. You, you can't you can't sort of move out of the system. So I don't know. I, I just think I think I think it was misleading to suggest that Facebook and that Cambridge Analytica was the only example of this happening. It happened with pretty much any app or any company that was mm-hmm. doing this prior to the change um, that Facebook made from becoming a platform to becoming an advertising setup. Yeah. And and the targeted ads on Facebook, that's their bread and butter. That's, the, that's their money machine, right? Like mm-hmm. the fact that you can say, uh, I want to be advertising to uh, people of this age with this profile who have friends like this to target that person. For example, um, I, I, you, there's always these uh, fantastic articles where people do uh, experiments on Facebook. Like they'll like every single page they see when they're scrolling their feed. And then they'll just see what, what happens to their news feed when they start liking just a random um, cacophony of stuff. Now, I, I completely agree with you. The journalism around it, as a pure journalis- journalistic point, like the undercover um, the approach to it, the the manner of reporting, the sort of structured way, you know, that's a throwback to proper journalism, right? The the, the effort and energy put into this uh-huh. to show this big expose. Um, now, I think I, where I agree with you is the literacy. I wouldn't say it's, it's um, uh, what's the word? Well, the word you use, but I'd say it's, it, yeah, I don't think it's misleading. I think it's just they, they just don't know better. Um, and this is where, isn't that the job? Stump- Isn't that their role? Surely you don't say to a data analyst that it's, um, you know, it's it's part of a data analyst's job to to sort of analyze the numbers and you know give a full picture of what's going. And okay, journalists aren't data analysts, but yeah, it's, it's, but, it's but, a comparison. But Tim, we get to the, get the old adage of you know typing pools an analyst, right? So the, the the similarity there is right now in the modern day, you wouldn't expect someone to write an email for you, but in the sixties and seventies, that was the norm. You had typing pools of people who wrote mm-hmm. letters for you. Um, but it, similarly, the analysts will become in this role where everyone will just be analyzing data, but we're not there yet. And I think that's where we are right now, which is people people need that role and that jump doesn't exist for people just to have that basic literacy. And that, that's definitely, I mean, the, the stories coming out about the um, the hearing with Zuckerberg, uh, with the Senate Council and the questions that the, the elected officials were asking were so, uh, almost it's, it came across as naive to a lot of the tech world. And, you know, but if, if we're thinking... These are people who have access to uh, an army of smart people who can brief them. Imagine the average Joe in, in the world and the sort of approach they, they have on all of this. This I is agree, why things I like agree. hashtag delete Facebook comes and people just do it because the, the fear creeps in. Yeah, and you know, I, I appreciate that. I just think a simple question wasn't asked and it wasn't asked because people wanted a scapegoat for the US elections. And sure. the simple question was this, uh, did any other company do the same thing? No one asked mm-hmm. that question. And if you'd asked that question, marketing uh, agencies would have would have popped up uh, the obama campaign would have popped up and then suddenly yeah. you would have actually been onto a much bigger story which is the fact that how long did facebook give so many developers um information about us and how much do they actually understand about where that data is today yeah. exactly and, and and at what point can how how can facebook police that like if i've if i've been sitting here getting millions and millions of users data in social profiles that i now have in a database sitting on my server at home how can Facebook then say, hey, did you delete that stuff? Oh, yeah, definitely. They can't go to everyone's house. <laughs> they can't find all of their app developers and say, go delete this data. 
And therein lies the, I think, the real story, because some of that data included things like um, sexual preferences, which in some countries Absolutely. is actually criminalized. And so it's actually dangerous data to be out there. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just think there was a missed, missed, missed opportunity for a proper discussion. And we all got carried away with the easy headline, which is, oh, delete Facebook. And like, seriously, how many people deleted WhatsApp, Instagram and Facebook? None of them. <laughs> no one. No one deleted all three apps from their phone because Facebook owns all of those. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's how much... We're attached to that, but um, we must really start talking about AR. In fact, um, yeah. a really good segue. I mean, I, I, exactly, I was going to say the segue here is perfect, <laughs> which is Facebook buying Oculus Rift. Oculus Rift, exactly. And um, Facebook have a really big interest in augmented reality. I, I, I sort of think augmented reality, sorry, uh, virtual reality. There's a, there's a big difference. So let's just actually break that down first. Um, AR and mm -hmm. VR. Um, so AR, how would you describe that? So I, I sort of see augmented reality is... Um, I mean, it break into the the the, the world with on a massive scale with Pokemon Go, right? Pokemon mm -hmm. Go was the first real app that came out and was this um, application which everyone started using, and um, it, that that is augmented reality. It was where you're using a device to augment the reality around you. In this case, uh, find Pokemon in a location close to you uh, and catch them, and you can have your camera on and flick a Pokeball at it, and it was just like and based on where you are and the sort of environment you're in, different Pokemon will appear. So for example, if you're in, in a city, you're more likely to see a Rattata, uh, yeah. a rat-based Pokemon. Or if you're in the yeah, countryside, yeah. you'll find the leaf ones. Um, so I'd, I'd say augmented reality is something uh, where you're using a device uh, to augment and sort of um, change the way you interact with the world around you. Yeah, you're um, sort of overlaying information over the real world, right? So that, that's, exactly. that's sort of, that you're sort of adding information, augmenting as it were. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas VR, in contrast, is is actually about uh, getting rid of the world around you and going into yes. an environment that's virtual. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. exactly. And it's taking these. In, I feel like um, VR is more sensual, so it's relying on your um, oral and visual, uh, oral with the AU in this case. Yeah. Um, senses to immerse yourself into another world or another environment, whereas VR is you're still using your senses in a normal way, but you're using a device instead of. Um, your your personal senses to do that yeah exactly and so it, it's it tends to be more immersive and it probably has um better applications because uh the virtual world obviously can you know operate in a different paradigm and so you tend to be able to be more creative with with vr um sort of instances mm -hmm. however they take a lot more work in terms of um, the computational power that's required so i'd say that's the, the the other key difference you know ar today can can run on your phone um vr claims to be able to run on your phone but <laughs> they tend to get very hot and the really compelling um sort of vr applications tend to be run on very dedicated device so i'm thinking of devices like the oculus rift uh, the htc vive um yes. the, you know those those are sort of dedicated vr devices whereas for ar um mm -hmm. you have something as simple as your phone which can do this that yeah. uh, uses the screen to do the augmentation or you can get something like the microsoft hololens which you put on your face and it augments a much broader scope of your vision so it has a has the ability to cover more of um the sort of visual scope and so um just just to very briefly touch touch on this i think AR, in terms of its history, was kind of the first thing that really sort of came into light uh, in the mainstream when the iPhone 4 or the iPhone 4S added an accelerometer onto the device. And so what that allowed the device to do is to be able to judge orientation uh, and basically know which way it was facing, north, south, up or down, you know, left and right. Mm -hmm. And so if you knew your location and you knew which way you were looking, you could essentially augment locations in the real world. So a typical use case was, you know, mapping. So you could sort of point your phone out to the skyline and you could see where, you know, London was or where Big Ben was supposed to be. 
and that kind of technology was fairly rudimentary. I think those apps never caught on, uh, but they, they, you know, they, they, they yeah. struck two to form. Yeah, I th- I, now you now you mention. I think I had a Nokia. So before I, I joined the iPhone crowd in 2015, I, I was a, I had a couple of Nokias, um, and my Nokia. I'm trying to think which one it was. It might have been the Windows one, which it, basically, if I went into a city, it was exactly that the 3D mapping would appear. I'd be able to hold it up, and it would show me um, the different buildings around me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and like which way to Big Ben or which way to the Shard and things like this. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's true. It's been around for a while, but it, again, it didn't really for me. It, I didn't really clock onto the idea and the concept of it until stuff like Pokemon Go, and then you start seeing when, when people start using things like the AR kit for yeah. Apple, uh, and that's becoming more open source. Exactly. So, um, where do you how how does it? So we were data and tech podcast, right? So talk to me about how you see this changing data and tech, and uh, obviously the tech side is easy, but what about data itself? Yeah, so the, the the key thing here is I think these aren't new topics, number one. Um, mm-hmm. These aren't sort of new fads. They've been around for quite some time. I think, you know, I'd say 2011 was when, you know, there was a peak of sort of excitement. We even had 3D televisions that claimed to be able to do some AR capabilities. Um, but where we are now is we get into this point of realization where we actually have devices with enough computational power to start to do very basic um, sort of AR capabilities. And in terms of VR, we're definitely reaching a point of, you know, where actually the software uh, and the hardware, uh, you know, don't quite line up, but the hardware is ready to go. And so when mm-hmm. we talk about data, I think one of the biggest promises for um, AR and VR is, is, is essentially offering analysts or people who work with data of all sorts, whether you're an engineer, a scientist, you know, a chemist, uh, giving them new perspectives on the data that they collect a a lot of. So if I take a very simple example of uh, NASA, they use AI and VR to uh, visualize simulations of data they've collected from past missions, and then they use those simulations to improve the design and build of the next sort of satellites and so on and so forth in the future. Uh, If you take something as simple as architecture, for example, an architect might put on a VR headset, look at his 3D model, in fact, maybe walk through the building, and look at the, you know architectural data in in that way and form. And in terms of you and me, um, it's actually really powerful when we start to talk about context because a lot of what data visualization is about yeah. is context. And I think you've you've done a couple of talks on context actually, which I have. Um, I highly encourage people to try and see if if, if you get the chance to see Ravi doing it live. Um, definitely, definitely go <laughs> go and watch. Um, and context is so important, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, but my my sort of reservation here is uh, the cost, right? The economies of scale. Are just not there right now for mm-hmm. especially for VR. So if you, if you take the example of an architect um, or an internal designer, if you've got two weeks to turn around a brief and say this is the designs I've got as an internal um, say office plan or a house plan, like you're saying this is what we're going to build for you. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're if you're investing uh, two uh, like uh, two thirds of your time uh, building a VR application that immerses the end user for that sort of flashy wow factor, and you don't take into account exactly the entire requirements and perfect it the the cost investment and it's a sunk cost right because if you've created a bespoke environment and you you can't use that same one again, i mean you maybe you can you have a sort of suite of templates but ultimately you you're using a lot of resource in order to build that sort of thing out and right now the tech is that the, the economies of scale so the price points aren't there for all of the different sort of uh prerequisites you need for the software and the hardware it's, it's just not there to scale at that that speed uh, and that's my my reservation is around mainly around VR uh, around that because it's a very niche sort of product in that sense. I, and, and I'd agree. I think um, you talk about economies of scale. I think in a in an enterprise context, it's actually less of a problem, and it's more of a 
it's more of an issue around competitive advantage and disadvantage actually whether uh, how you sort of implement and use vr um in the industries where you know it actually does offer value i think it, it, you know i think pretty much every organization that works in a space that handles data that could possibly be you know benefit from vr or ar has some sort of you know they always call them labs or doing innovation it, yeah. hubs inside of their companies that are already mm -hmm. playing with these ideas but i think what's what they're struggling with is you know catching these ideas onto something that's viable um, mm -hmm. And VR definitely has that challenge, apart from maybe VR gaming. And um, if you take uh, like cinematics, for example, where it's actually quite useful when you're designing a game to be in the game, in the game world from a virtual perspective. So you can actually better, you know, better build the environment. But I don't think yeah. we have enough use cases like gaming where uh, that's happening. Um, but when we switch over to AR, I think pretty much everyone, uh, you know, who has a smartphone that's, you know, been launched in the last two to three years, has uh, been either directly or indirectly been subject to AR uh, in some mm -hmm. way or form, even if it's something as simple as, you know, taking a photo. When you hold up your phone and you take a photo of something and your camera or your phone tells you that this is in focus or this is a face or that's not a face, that in itself is AR. That's AR Absolutely. in its simplest form. And we've all seen yeah. that. We sort of just take it for granted at how well it works. You know, you kind of just look at, look at your phone and it's, it's highlighting someone's face. And, you know, even the Samsung phones can take a photo when they smile. And, you know, that's, that's a very simple mm. AR capability that we can already <laughs> achieve today. Um, you're laughing because maybe the feature is not great, right? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it go hit and miss. But again, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk, we can talk, we can talk phones in another one. And then, I think AR is this uh, wonderful beast, I think. And there's a lot more tangible insights because, first of all, everyone's seen Iron Man and Minority Report, right? <laughs> so to, to be able to be like Iron Man, to like have everything around him where he's like flicking the air around and... You know, speaking to Jarvis, and that—that's—that's that's the sort of levels people aspire to. You know, that's that my worst nightmare. Cool. If I'm honest, like <laughs> I can barely keep up with notifications on my phone. Can you imagine if yeah. they're on my face all the whole time? Oh my well, word! <laughs> and, and this is the—I think—I think you've—you've you've almost hit the nail on the head there. I think yes, it's going to be fantastic. Like if we talk about applications in terms of you know you're you're an engineer in a factory and you need to know like have instruction on screen while you're doing something or like vitals while you're like checking the pressure of something, you know, you don't want something to blow up on your face or you need to make sure a certain procedure is encountered and it sort of shows you as you go along. That's fantastic. That's exactly where AI should be used now. Or like, for example, um, bringing something to life, like a direction. The, the classic example is mapping, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you're driving along and you've got an AR thing, it's non-intrusive. It's not blocking your line of sight because it's part of your line of sight and it's telling you and nudging you in a non-intrusive way. Now, the the issue then becomes if we now think of uh, augmented reality utopia, how close is that? Like, How much of, of a fine line are we treading with the utopia versus a dystopia? Where I'll, um, in order to make money off applications that do the, this sort of give you these sort of features, they will inevitably put adverts on. So imagine saying, I need to figure out how I'm getting to um, London Bridge from where I am now. You need to watch a five second video before you can. It's like, no, I just, <laughs> just get me from A to B. Just show me that path right now. Um, oh, well, I, th I think you make a really good point. Um, it's, it's totally... It's totally a world that is, we kind of live in today. If you just simply take your devices you look at today, I challenge someone to go half an hour without either accidentally looking at or being subject to some sort of screen or device of, of some sort. It's just, unless you live like um, 
you know, in a in a zero tech environment, which some people do, and I, you know, I really appreciate people who do that. Even your silly something silly as a smartwatch is just another screen. So mm-hmm. you have your laptop, you have your iPad, you have your phone, you have your screen. These are all just trying to get your, your the attention of your eyes. And so when you move to something like AR, where you know this this information can be with you more often than you know something like your phone or your watch. I think uh, attention shifts, right? And so you can do a little yeah. bit more and a little bit less. Um, one of the things I like about AR is that there's no point showing you, like, for example, when you go on a website, every single advert on the page has to fight for your attention because it yeah. knows that they're competing for your attention. However, AR, by virtue of augmenting reality, automatically limits what you can be shown. If I'm looking at a white wall, there's no point showing me the nearest hotel because I'm, I'm staring at a white wall. But if I've previously <laughs> searched for directions to a hotel, then I've already given it something specific to focus on. So it's now going to show me there a path to the hotel and show me where it is. But it's not going to then show me, oh, by the way, did you know that um, you can get a coffee over there? Because, you know, that's not my incentive. So I think there's an element to which I think the technology can help focus those kind of decisions. And I think advertising today is actually... Uh, the way it is, because a lot of the um, sort of uh, advertising industry didn't really see Google and the likes of Facebook coming along. Uh, Facebook and Google kind of just just you know turned out of nowhere and took people away from print onto screens, and so and people really struggled to adapt. Apart from obviously people who were buying the ads, but the yeah. you know the industries that struggled to you know who needed that income really struggled to adapt. So they resorted to you know desperate strategies, which is why you have the adverts that start playing sound in the back of your you know in the back of your browser, and you don't know where it's coming from. You know, um, mm-hmm. so I think that will happen less because I think the kind of companies developing AR have a more holistic uh, picture. That said. I think we do need a little bit of a, you know, uh, sort of a step back and we almost need like an ethics committee around this because if I have AR glasses <laughs> and they're constantly on, uh, I don't yeah. know if you remember the guy called Robert Scoble, um, but he was famous for wearing a Google Glass uh, to uh, to his shower. So he had a shower with his Google Glass on uh, mm-hmm. and then um, he sort of went viral for doing this and then uh, he, he kind of went out into, you know, you know, the public the next day. And yeah. he realized that because people were now aware he was wearing this thing with a camera that was constantly on, um, yeah. they couldn't tell whether he, you know, he was filming them and so on and so forth. So suddenly this thing flips because for AR to work, it has to be aware of everything around you. But what if you don't yeah. want to be part of someone's, you know, reality, as it were, augmented reality? Like how, yeah. how do you stay out of that? And I don't think we've actually solved that well enough, even with things like, you know, Facebook and mobile phones. We don't have enough control of that to be able to what, port that kind of intelligence to AI. Well, you, you say that, but there's there's a couple of stories that have come out about the next iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but, but Apple, I think, took allegedly took a patent out where at certain concerts, yeah. people can be blocked yeah. uh, from videoing. Yeah. So they will say, you can't have your camera facing mm-hmm. this concert because we don't want you to video it. You want to enjoy the experience. And if you want to have a live video, you have to purchase. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think the technology is probably there in order to stop the privacy. But go on, you've got a point to make. So I, I think that's actually ridiculous. Like the fact that I, see, I mean, uh, and it's funny. It's funny because it's Apple as well. So there's just two problems here. Number one, Apple devices aren't cheap. So when you pay like nearly a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds, because it's virtually the same in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're paying a lot of money for this thing, and you're probably only going to use it for let's say a year to two years max. And then Apple turns around and tells you, oh, by the way, I know you paid us for this device, but we're going to tell you when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to take um, videos and photos. I think that crosses the line. Now, I can hear all the you know comedians and musicians out there going, whoa, we need to make a living. If people record this stuff on YouTube, mm-hmm. it won't be the same. And I was like, well, 
no, hold on. YouTube is not the same as being at the concert live. And if you actually have an issue with that kind of stuff, it, it, it's actually part of a cultural issue that you need to sort out within the within the venue. Uh, if you've heard of Chris yeah. Rock, Chris Rock makes people put their phones in a sealable bag before they actually enter the venue. So you can have your mm-hmm. phone with you. You just can't take it out of the bag to, to record the event. So, yeah. you know, I just think it's a cultural, it's a cultural thing about the way we live our lives now. We live a, we live a life where if I buy something and it's mine, you know, I've purchased it. I, I shouldn't then, you know, discover a few uh, months later that I can't take videos of any, because that's not in the small print when I buy the device. There's no way on Apple packaging that would ever have the line that says, in some concert venues, we might we might block you from from filming uh, the event. So I don't know. That Those are the kind of issues we need to, to think about that, you know, not just concerts, but people. What if they are... Yeah people who are vulnerable, who shouldn't be, you know, captured on these kind of systems. You really need a really tight mechanism, a centralized system that can actually yeah. control how this is managed. Yeah. But but then that, that comes down to what we we're talking about with the Facebook, you know, with the Facebook issue earlier, where the literacy just isn't there. Like think about policymakers right now that I, I have this sort of uh, running theory where um, the people who are in government or, or in politics right now, are, they're not the guys who have the expertise. They always rely on yeah, external consultancies to yeah. inform them and no doubt these external consultancies will have a, a a lobby point to make. So therefore we'll try and shape policy yeah. to, to help them. So they will always have this vested interest. Um, when we do get to a point where tech and data literacy are the norm, um, then yeah, we can definitely see changes like this, but that's where I don't think, that's where I don't think th- this isn't going to become so part of our lives. Um, if you remember, I think the, I think last June, um, I, I was asking you about your Apple watch, you know, like mm-hmm. what does it do? What, 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 like, what, what, what is, what does it do versus what I had back then, which was a Fitbit? Like, yeah. what, what is it adding to what you're doing? And your, your answer was more about the notifications and how it just allows you to make a choice. It gives you yeah. another layer of choice of mm-hmm. whether to take your phone out to respond to a notification or, uh, as well as the passive background fitness, fitness tracking. And I, I think that really resonates with me. Like, I feel like that that decision you can make because you've got a a, a, a tap instead of a vibration or a sound yeah. happening. Um, now with augmented reality, what will happen is you'll just see it coming in all the time. So for example, I could be, I don't know, I, I could be having it very, someone speaking to me, having a very serious conversation, but I'm wearing a Google glass uh-huh. and I've got the football on. Uh-huh. <laughs> so am I really paying attention? You know? So this is an interesting thing. Cause, um, we, there's, there's actually a few, um, good devices and maybe it's just worth touching on these very briefly. They'll all be in the show mm-hmm. notes. So, um, the first thing we ever saw was Google glass. That was, that was almost too ahead of its time because, um, that kind of technology is kind of just, you know, coming, coming now. And if you take one step further back, I don't know if people recall this, the Xbox connect, that was actually an AR device. It, you know, it captured you in infrared and then augmented you onto the, onto the, uh, television. Uh, and then the PlayStation had something similar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so pa- you know, pa- 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 paranormal act actually based that one of their films around the um the connect yeah because exactly. of the dots exactly and yeah. so those are those are the big players and everyone's heard of oculus and the uh, microsoft vr now there's a whole slew of devices that i don't think anyone even has on their radar that i think you should absolutely look at and research so i'm just going to go through a couple of them um the first one is uh, by a company called Magic Leap. Now, Magic Leap have actually been able to raise over a billion dollars in investment for a product that no one has ever seen, <laughs> which is kind of interesting because, you know, you don't get that kind of money unless you've actually got something compelling. But like most things that can turn into thin air. So I really hope they have a CEO like Elon Musk that can actually, you know, back, back, back the, reality, you know, yeah. the conversation. Um, the, what is compelling about that is the mechanism by which it works is it doesn't augment uh, anything uh, onto glass. 
it actually augments directly onto your uh, retina. So it, it takes a different oh. approach where instead of augmenting um, onto a plane, which is glass in front of your face, it augments into your retina. So there's always perfect clarity of what you're looking at. And um, by doing that, it's also able to know whether you're paying attention to something or not. And so it's kind of weird, but basically it won't augment anything unless you look at a particular part of the screen. So when you're not looking at a, a sort of a visual cue on the bottom of the uh, bottom right hand of the screen, there's nothing augmenting. And then as soon as you move your eyes just ever so slightly, it picks right. up this movement and then augments um, the, the kind of uh, the kind of environment. But it's, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, you can go on the website and look at how it's supposed to be able to do that. Sure. Another one is the uh, actually a product that got canned just yesterday. I can't believe this. I was doing research before today and I was like, wait a minute. This was a product a month ago. Now it's been canned. <laughs> Intel um, launched a, something called a Vaunt, uh, Intel Vaunt. And what's amazing about this is it just looks like a normal pair of glasses. And it, again, works in a similar way. It doesn't project onto glass. It projects off the glass into your retina. And then um, the information basically is always perfect. Even if you don't have perfect vision, if, you've, you know, if you need glasses, this will still be sharp because it's not projecting through the glass it's 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 sort of augmenting onto your own vision and sort of reading your sort of visual perception and so it can overlay things like directions and so on and so forth but it's got a very small sort of um uh, uh, pain on which it can augment onto so unless you right. look into that pain you'll never ever see anything and it it does it all with very you know basically the lasers in this uh, thing are less effective than your mobile phone screen um, and, and the amount of radiation that gives your gives your face and, and, and eyes even though that's basically nothing so that's kind of interesting and then you've got things like apple who are you know shoving lots of technology into that tiny little slit on the top of your phone it's now called mm -hmm. a notch it's got a name it's a thing android phones are copying it that fits a whole bunch of technology onto the, the the phone and then that's able to read information about your environment and your face and then augment you in a different place rather than augmenting reality it's augmenting sort of your reality onto some virtual virtual aspects it's not vr it's technically mostly ar and then you've got things like the oculus rift and the microsoft hololens which people have heard of so um check out yeah. the, the the show notes now what is interesting is um i don't think people are aware that the technology is actually moving ahead quite quickly and it's moving ahead faster than the policy. And this is this touches on your point about, um, like, you know, I totally agree with you on this. I sometimes hear people talking about policy on these kind of topics. And I was like, you just have no idea. That That's that's what that's where we were five years ago. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like exactly. and technology companies aren't going to stop um, because, you know, you don't know what's going on. And so uh, and, my... and, and, the, and it will always be with these sorts of companies like AR and VR specialists. It's always yeah. going to be a small team of five to ten people who are just experts at this right it's not going to be the big players the big players will just buy these smaller companies out yep. get them in and then learn from them and give like give them more money and you buy in the capability and you expand it's kind of you know, there's no such thing as a, a startup kind of coming in and knocking facebook google or apple off the top now that you, you kind of go for aqua highs now yeah now i mean the, the my my sort of key point around all of these things so you've mentioned again like the, the fact that all of these companies like vaughn for example and uh, the, the, all, all the companies you mentioned that we might not have heard of, the issue there is that the benefit that Google, Apple, Facebook have is they have their own platform and ecosystem. Google yep. and Apple to the high nth degree. like They've got an entire platform ready to go yep. and it, they can just slide another product into their ecosystem and people just pick it up because it just fits their lifestyle. Yep. Yep. You know, and that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the USP. Um, I think that's actually you know, a problem. Okay. <laughs> I think that's actually a big problem because what that means is you're hamstrung and you have you, you have to stay with the cons device for example consumers have I've got, no choice yeah yeah so with the apple watch i can't now you can't and change my to phone. anything else yeah exactly yeah 
yeah, you're locked. And Apple love it. Not only do they sell you an expensive phone, they manage to upsell you an expensive watch. And now because you've upselled an expensive watch, you'll never leave the phone platform, which means you'll probably go and buy <laughs> Apple Music, which means you'll also buy Apple Photos and iCloud because you run out of space to keep all your music. And therefore, again, you're locked. And so when it comes to switching your phone, you look at the choices and you go, hmm, am I going <laughs> to burn my watch, my phone, my music subscription, and all my photos on iCloud just yeah. because I want a new phone? No. And then this is where you end up with, Things like the iPhone having really uh, crap notification systems, but no one complains because guess what? You can't complain. You can't complain. <laughs> uh, it really drives me up the wall sometimes. But I think this is actually the fundamental problem. The fact that small mm. players can no longer get to the kind of size that you know Google, Facebook and Apple have done uh, without at least taking either part investment from these companies or being acquired by these companies. And the problem with part investment is that uh, that investment always drives the agenda and that agenda always serves the, you know, the parent company. So um, governments need to really start, you know, really helping small companies burst through. And unfortunately, and unfortunately, I'm, I've got to be in my bonnet about this. This is exactly why GDPR is not going to help anything, because guess what? The companies that have the muscle, the finances, the legal structure to actually handle things like GDPR, guess what? Tend to be the Facebooks, the Googles and the Apples. If you're a startup and you're looking at, you know, setting up, you like GDPR is just going to be one additional thing that you won't know how to navigate. So you'll just try and avoid it and you just maybe won't do it. And it, to be honest, if it's a big enough hurdle, you won't bother starting a startup. And the same companies yeah. that are manipulating everything will keep on doing that. And, and GDPR uh, is interesting you mentioned because yesterday I was reading an article about even amongst this entire storm about their privacy and, and how Facebook's handling information, what's now come out is that they've found a loophole, of course they have, yep. um, where they can get around GDPR and they, they, they move everything to Ireland or something like that and all they'd have to pay is $5 million if they get caught or do something different. And for that fraction of a cost, because again, twenty is it's like $20 billion off, or 5% of your revenue, whichever is higher. Yep. So it's, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to see, you know, it, it is going to be, as you say, the bigger boys will find these loopholes and they, these caveats and things, whereas the, it's the smaller, medium-sized companies that are going to get yeah, yeah. big bit a bitten. Let, just take something as simple as cookies. You know, this EU cookie policy that says at the top of your website, you have to have this thing that says you're not tracking cookies, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, ask yourself, when was the last time you went to a personal blog that had that thing on the top of the thing, on the top of the page? Like, <laughs> never. And yet this is the law that every website in the EU has to have this stuff. And yet every website uses cookies and yet you don't see it everywhere. Only yeah. the large companies with resources who actually have the ability to do this can do it, which is why this policy is so ineffective because to dismantle these companies from the top, to actually disrupt what they do, you have to have room for startups and companies who do want to do the right thing to pop up and give consumers the choice to be able to choose yeah. between Facebook and another social media platform. I can't choose, I can't choose at the moment. Like yeah. um, this, this podcast turned into a Facebook hating podcast, but um... <laughs> the, 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 real, the real winner of social media, let's be honest, is MySpace. Like yeah. Tom <laughs> sold at the height, and he is sitting pretty in his yacht right now. Uh, everyone was Tom's friend, remember? Like <laughs> exactly, and everyone still is Tom's friend. So yeah, he, he's the real winner here. He's the real winner of all this. Now I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back to cool. uh, augmented and VR. Yeah, as you can tell, we're very much into the uh, so what section of the pod. Um, yeah. Now. I, my, I'm going to make well, my final point on this is going to be around data viz because yeah. we're both data viz practitioners. Why not? Why not? Let's do that. And I just don't see it happening. I just don't fundamentally, apart from maybe when we get to the wearable section where everything's augmented around 
your sensors and you look at a screen and it tells you, hey, Ravi, here's your report for this this week for this particular screen. And then you can interact with it. Now, what so, I don't see is VR or AR being the norm in data viz. Like, yeah, it'd be really cool okay. to see a bar chart pop out of nowhere. Okay. So, but it's going to end up being a 3D bar chart. <laughs> so Ravi, 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 I'm going to... I share I share this very view. And I think you've been a victim. You're a victim of something I personally hate. And I hate it with a passion. And that is, as soon as any kind of technology comes along, someone, there's always someone who thinks, yes, now is the time for this kind of application to go mainstream. And they build very mediocre, very substandard apps or examples mm-hmm. of how this thing should work. We all look at it and we go, oh, this technology is a fad. This is never going to work. And so you like dismiss... an tablet, for example. <laughs> yes. And so you dismiss the whole thing without ever, ever looking at it again, when actually all that was wrong here is that you were victimized. You were basically a victim of a really poor example of that technology working, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I think this is what's actually happening right now. If you go on the app store, I can't tell you how many apps can now suddenly augment pie charts in the 3D space. And I'm like, oh, my worst nightmare. <laughs> like... <laughs> You took a 2D thing. You think you took something that was designed for print and, and flat format screen, and then you just decided yeah. to basically extrude extrude it by a few millimeters and call it here's a 3D pie chart, yeah. as if rotating it in three dimensional space gives you any additional perspective of anything. Um, and but, that's but that, application, that... but applications for business for AR. If we if we if it's focusing on data is no like personal, apart from personalization, just, I don't see it. Just let but, me get there. Just let me get. Okay. There. Just let me get. Go there. On. Okay. So I'm gonna paint a utopian vision here. I just want you to just, you know, bear with me, okay? I'm going to take very specific examples that are easy to understand and uh, sort of visualize. I'm going to take manufacturing and retail, Mm -hmm. okay? You walk into a store. As a consumer, I'm not going to go at this from a consumer perspective because we're looking at the business. So I work at H&M, H&M Oxford Street, okay? I'm the store manager. I want to know how are my products on a particular display doing, okay? And this Mm -hmm. is funny because this kind of information takes roughly two to three days to turn around in a typical retail outlet because you have to wait for the sales to come through. You then have to clock where those items were actually placed in the store. And then you have to make a value judgment about whether the positioning of the item in the store is actually benefiting the product or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if I take retail as an example, imagine augmented reality, where as a manager, I can go up to a particular display, let's say a shoe display, and there's, there's, there's five shoes on the rack on the wall. Okay. And I can say, I can look at this thing and I can say to something, show me the performance of these shoes. And because it's looking at these shoes, it's able to tell me, ah, it just turns out that since when I moved this shoe from this shelf to this top shelf, it started performing mm-hmm. better. Why is that? Because that is at eye level. Okay. So, and I, it won't say that that's at eye level and that's why. The manager will be able to deduce and use sort of common uh, common sense and knowledge here. And this is what happens at Tesco, for example. You walk around and the stuff at eye line is the stuff that sells the best. That's why it's positioned. Mm-hmm. That's why companies pay for that. That's one use case. Take another use case, manufacturing. A manufacturing line, really, really busy. Uh, they optimize manufacturing lines to make sure things are performing well and there's no bottlenecks. Now, the issue here is you normally, again, have to wait for turnaround time between uh, seeing the metrics on a screen, which isn't the context, understanding, okay, there's a bottleneck developing here, then you have to go to that section of the manufacturing line, look at it and see what is actually happening here that's causing this problem. And then you realize, oh, it's because the person who's working on that section is new. So, you know, they will be a little bit slow and that's fine, okay? What if you could again augment that part of the manufacturing line? So simply by just, you know, scanning, going maybe to a particular section of the manufacturing line, there'd be a place where you could look at a visualization 
augmented and it would say to you, okay, this is who's working here today. They've been doing this for three days and not, you know, three years like the previous person. And that's probably why productivity is down today. And you can yeah. see a trend of how this is going throughout the day. And so you can talk to that person, you can work with them. Those are things so, so, are actually use cases that would work. So you're, you're basically talking about interacting with your data, like having that interaction rather than uh, a transaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I can see that. But it's augmented. That. It's augmented in context. So you don't have to, it's, 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 it's taking away. It's the contextual point. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. The context. You are looking at it in context. Take a, a sports example as a you know, consumer. You go to watch a football match. Yeah. I actually think AR could help there because imagine everyone sitting, um, watching a football match and you know, the kind of stuff you see on TV. When you're mm-hmm. actually at a football match, AR could actually help with those kind of things like statistics and who's running, who's performing. And maybe it's a premium feature that some people have access to. And maybe for those who aren't so bothered and don't care, you just don't have the glasses and so it doesn't work. So I just yep. think the examples we Coaches. have of AR today just don't work. But when everything works and the context is, you know, you're looking at the information literally right next to the context where it applies, I think it's priceless. And that is where it will make a difference. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think I think I'd agree because there's so much you can do within a day to day thing where it just helps uh, take along. Like everyone's talking about the, the easiest one is, of course, training and simulating. But my favorite would be translations, for yeah. example. Yeah. Imagine like setting in like I was in a, recently I was in a business meeting, but the entire meeting was in France, apart from the section where I was coming in and talking about some examples <laughs> in English. Everything was in French. Um, so I'd come in and talk in English for the, about 20 minutes and then everyone speaks French. Now, bonjour, m- my Ravi. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, com si, com sa. That's, that's as far as I get. Um, but, you know, if, if, imagine having subtitles live, uh, like, just, just for you to interpret that language. Or uh, if you're, if, like, think about sign language, for example. Yeah, yeah. It's being the deaf person for the accessibility of saying, I want to say this, and then it will sign in front of you, and then you just make the same signs. Yeah. Um, or, again, if for a somewhat person who's, who's deaf, they can see what someone's trying to say. Exactly. Um, and the key thing here is the friction shouldn't be any more than what you already do today. I shouldn't have to, even if, you, you know, this kind of sounds silly, but the, the, the perfect vision is when you don't have glasses, you just have these sort of uh, contact lenses, yeah, where you don't even <laughs> have to, you don't even have to put them on to get this benefit. This, this is when context and ease of use are realized, right? Because if I have to, like, it's the same thing with your phone, right? To take a photo, you have to pick up your phone. But your phone is much easier to pick up. Yeah, it's got to be charged. But your phone is much easier to pick up than an SLR, which is why phones have become the most common mode of of photography. But imagine Mm -hmm. if you didn't even have to pick up your phone to take a camera, yeah, to take a photo, right? That that is the next sort of level of ease. But you know, it's it's going to take years to get there, probably tens of years. But that is a level of sort of context and ease of use you need for this stuff to be useful. And therefore, that's why I hate I hate it when I see an app going into AR on your phone and then extruding a pie chart or a bar chart into 3D and saying, ah, here's some value. I took this two-dimensional thing and I, I forced it into a three-dimensional world just so you could look at it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. There's one app where you can take an Excel spreadsheet and then it visualizes like a scatter plot in 3D space. And, and wow. I was just like, well, no, no, like a lot of people really like it. And, you know, it's a paid app. It's a gimmick. Like, it, it's, honestly, it's, it's a gimmick. honestly, this is so bad. Like, like you've just lost the point of a scatter plot number one. You're not supposed to be able to navigate it in 3D space. It's supposed to be a two-dimensional <laughs> thing. They're not stars, right? With an X and Y, yeah, exactly. There's no Z axis on a scatter plot. Yeah, goodness sake. So, oh, yeah. Um, well, so, th- th- that's sort of, that's sort of covered off the now, what Tim? Honestly, like that's yeah, we've we've yeah. gone into yeah. the future of it and where we see it going. And I think we've both we've both agreed that AR has a lot more sort of day-to-day potential, whereas VR has its own niche. Um, Particularly, like I, I saw a, a cool training app um, 
scrolling my LinkedIn feed today, uh, of, of, of ski training, basically. Uh, it's it's a, a couple of things on wheels. So you, it's similar to you being on skis, mm-hmm. but you're not slow going down anything. But instead, you've got a VR headset on, which shows you as if you're going down slopes, but all you're doing is moving your body. Yeah. Uh, and the machine then simulates the same G-forces you get when you're going down a ski slope. Uh, it's that sort of thing that VR touches on. Uh, rather than the, these sort of day-to-day things. And again, like you mentioned, the gimmicks. So, so it, it even goes one step better. I've seen uh, VR, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, wind, uh, you know those machines that skydivers go into? Wind tunnel. You, yeah, you can actually get VR wind tunnels for skydivers. And because it's uh, because you're actually skydiving, you can put a gyroscope basically on your backpack. You can actually, mm-hmm. in a virtual way, have a, like a never-ending skydive. Sky, uh, sky um, because <laughs> because because you're virtualizing the whole thing. Um, and also you've got cameras now which are able to, uh, to capture 360 environments. You yes. can recreate the sort of same perspective multiple times and actually learn and develop your skills before you then go and do the real thing. So you, you do like one jump, then you're able to relive it multiple times because you've got VR headsets and AR headsets that allow you yeah. to see the jump from different perspectives. And then you can go off and, and do the real thing. And, you know, I totally agree with you. I think um, I think VR will have applications, but it's still going to be quite a niche, um, a niche, niche aspect. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think that's there episode number four. That was a really long facebook ranty podcast <laughs> yeah there's, there's a lot of facebook rants in there there's there's um a couple of touch points on p- policy makers again um but yeah i think i think we can um clock this as another bumper podcast as an apology to our listeners absolutely absolutely um if you've got feedback about the show as always you can reach us on twitter it's three watts pod uh, that's also our website three watts pod.com um, if you're looking up for us on podcast apps, you can now find us on pretty much all uh, podcast clients. Um, most mm-hmm. uh, most most uh, podcast apps just use the Apple one, so you can find us on there. Our website also lets you listen to the latest episode of the podcast. Ravi, did you know that? I did. Um, I've been poking around it the last couple of days, and I've kind of <laughs> advertised it. I'm like, hey, look, we can um, listen to it right here. Um, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you can now listen to our latest episode uh, available online and listen to the podcast um, in the relevant pages. Um, if you want to find our show notes, just go to 3wattspod.com forward slash E4. That's episode four. And you'll be able to find the show notes that we've referenced today. Okay. Ravi, when will we do our next podcast? Uh, let's let's put it in the calendar this time uh, and actually like lock it down. <laughs> yeah, uh, like next week. <laughs> yeah, sometime next week. Happy for that. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you soon.